It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as Triangle of Sadness, Yellowstone 1923, and 80s Bond films. Except, except that one didn't have the grain added. It just had the weird filters on um, to make it look like it was from the 50s or something. Um, and Fableman's had that look in, in grading. Um, then it had the, the, the slight digital on top. I mean, digital analog. Digital, that sounds weird, digital analog. Uh, analog filter or something. Yeah, and how'd you feel about that movie overall, the Fableman's? I guess my opinion is like everybody else's, which is like, oh, it's nice, it's good, it's good, it's good. Yeah. Like, but but it's not like great. It's not like as great as movie. Um, I think it deserves a nomination, not a win. It's just really good, but just not boom, blow me away. Uh, just yeah, just really well done. Yeah, and as much as I do enjoy the Fablemans, I feel like. If you're going to pick one out of the two movies that were exploring a lost era of cinema, I feel like give it to Babylon over the Fablemans. I mean, I like the Fablemans, definitely, but it was just kind of a, a typical Spielberg movie. Kind of, yes, about Fablemans. But see, Babylon, I think that's just, at this stage, I think it's, it's too, like, um, there's, no, there's no consensus on that movie. Like, there's people who love it, there's people who hate it, there's people who are middling. Like, and I'm not saying it's a genius Kubrickian-level film, but I think it's like a lot of Kubrick films when they came out, or especially, uh, like, 2001 or Barry Lyndon or maybe Clockwork. Well, I don't know about Clockwork. I don't know how it was received when it first came out. But those other ones I named, like, like people aren't, aren't 100% sure what they're looking at. Like, like, what is going on? What does this really mean? And it takes, like, five, ten years, if the project is worthy, that people start to go, wait a second, like, we need to give this a second look. Um, and then it, like, redeems itself. And I think Babylon is one of those kinds of movies. I'm not saying it's going to be as great as those movies. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it it's going to take time to be digested by people. Because it's so audacious, ostentatious. It's a, it's a lot of things and it's it is yeah it's too long unless you're all in on the concept and the premise unless you're all in it's 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 too, way too much now if you're all in it's different because you yeah. can kind of take it all in differently but so yeah that yeah that movie's a little bit wild yeah like i said i didn't feel the time oh fuck i did like it 
I was surprised when it ended. I was like, oh, wow, like three hours already passed. Wow. But I guess it's the same as Avatar. For the people who are all completely sucked into that world, they can... For something like Babylon, that's just such my wheelhouse. It just hits so perfectly for me. I get that everybody's going to love Avatar or Avatar 2, but I'm a little bit confused by people who are like really repelled to it or even a little repelled. Like, I feel like everyone should either just be, like, middling, like with the way we were talking about Fablelands, mm-hmm. or they should be like me and be like, fuck, this is amazing. <laughs> but to go, like, the opposite direction... I like, get it. I almost, I almost feel like... It, to go the opposite direction on Avatar or Avatar 2, to me, is almost like if it was the late 70s and, like, you're like, I only listen to punk rock. Like, that's it. You know, fuck Aerosmith. I just listen to Sex Pistols. So I feel like you just have... The person just has this counterculture, um, contrarian view on things in general. To have such strong negative feelings about those movies, I get it with Avatar, and I think I think for a lot of folks, they would be more they would be less hating on it if it wasn't so dramatically long. Both of them are just ridiculously long, and I, I know, like my partner, we watched uh, the second Avatar in the theater. She was like. You know, it, it felt like the movie stopped, like, maybe almost an hour before the end, and it just turned into action. And then by the time it was done, I was so bored by the nonsense action that I wanted to go walk out and go read a book in the car. See, and I get, there's other movies I could think of that where I get, where it turns into mindless action mode. But in the case of Avatar, and I really thought about it, like, the second and third time I watched it, Avatar 2. Because the action really is done so well, and, and like the action is meaningful, like the different things that you see occur during the action scene, like it's not just all random punching and killing. Because because there's a, a narrative within the action, like a, like a sort of like choreography, like a dance. It it makes it more engaging to me than like just your stereotypical. Like it's not like the lightsaber duel at the end of Sith. <laughs> yeah, it's no. just like what the fuck, um, and surprise, and, and the action scenes in Avatar two. I mean, the last 35, 40 minutes, the, at least when I was in the theater, it all like passed pretty quickly every time I saw it. So, yeah. But my favorite part of the movie was the middle third. Yeah, um, definitely. It was just, like the discovery of the the ocean life, and as I told somebody else, I can't remember who, it was the first third. Where I was super impatient because like, I just wanted to get past, yeah, the old um, tribe and just like move on and, and get past the let's get you caught up to speed. I just wanted to get like I want the story to really start, but then once it started or once they got to the the, the sea culture, I was all in. Um, yeah, that's that's why it felt so much longer in the second view for me, because yeah, it felt pretty boring until they get to the the water tribe and then. Except for me too, once we got to the end action sequences, I was like, mm, they could have shaved off 20 minutes here and I would have been a lot happier. Like, especially when the, the kids get recaptured for the second time. It's kind of like, oh man, like we're just spinning our wheels here. Like We could have very much smoothed, the, smoothed this out and, and cut some runtime out of here. That was insane. And all, where I would have cut is the drowning sequences or like Mm. getting trapped in the ship that yeah. was that was like extending things way too much for me 
Yeah, the new the Tim uh, Ripley scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Triangle Sad- Sadness was really interesting. Mm. I feel like I don't see a movie like because even though it is dark comedy mm-hmm. um, and satir- satirizing society or whatever, the same as the, the menu. It's still like a a very different movie to me. Yeah. And, and whatever type of movie that is, I feel like I don't see that type of movie very often. And it's interesting when that kind of movie comes around, when it's done well. Um, and I think it's overall done pretty well. Mm-hmm. I, I like almost all of it. Um, the only part, I wasn't engaged in the first third of the movie because I wasn't... Because during the first third, it wasn't apparent to me what the hell was going on. Or, <laughs> yeah. or how... I mean, I mean, like... I mean, even the, the satire wasn't clear to me. Mm-hmm. Like, in the first third. Um... And, but then once I got on board, no pun intended, then I was like, oh, okay, got it. Now, then everything clicked after that. But then that being said, as much as I like, then I kind of like the movie overall, like, quite a lot. But the part that still drags me down at the end of the day was just, like, so how unlikable the sort of protagonist, the young male model, mm-hmm. if he was the protagonist... He was just such an unlikable character. Every phase of the movie, to me, yeah. that it like really turned me off. Like, <laughs> God, he was so unlikable. God, the whole movie. Ugh. Um, like, like his girlfriend, she wasn't likable in the beginning, but then like she grew on me, and, and other mm-hmm. characters had their moments. But he was just. Ugh. Oh yeah, and didn't that actress die? The girlfriend didn't she just recently die? Really? How? I don't remember. I remember it came out shortly after the movie. She had a very unexpected death. She's quite young too. It's very sad. Yeah, I gotta look this up because she was actually kind of amazing and kind of interesting. She was. And I would have liked to see her in more things. She was kind of the standout star, I thought. Yeah. Let's see. She did die. Something with her spleen. Oh, wow. Um, I wonder if that had anything to do with the scar that I noticed that she had. Um, yeah, she was 32. Yeah. Wow. Sepsis. Oh, yeah, that's probably what her scar was. Because she had her spleen removed in 2008. And then that made her susceptible to, like, whatever she caught that that killed her now yeah that's definitely sad i did think she was kind of a standout star in that i was like oh i'm excited to see her do some more stuff in the future i thought she was really good there yeah yeah yep oh that's unfortunate yeah that's the that's the funny thing about movies they can just catch like a little snapshot of this person and they're just gone yeah that's wild oh that's wild but yeah i wonder yeah i haven't had a chance to like research this movie like because it looked like most of the um, behind-the-scenes people, like producers and things, they looked like they all had European names. Oh, yeah. Definitely felt European. And there was... Yeah, there's something European about it, but I haven't had a chance to read into the movie. And also, it was it was HD, because they're not selling it streaming in UHD like most things. Um, and it, but, it, but for being HD, it looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um... So that makes me even more curious about the the Criterion 4K release that 
that's coming like in May or something. Yeah, and I was curious how people were going to respond to it because kind of like the, the maybe the first half an hour Babylon, like some of this movie just like attacks your senses in ways that I are massive turnoffs to people. Like I've got some issues with vomit. I, I like I'm a sympathy vomiter. So during that whole sequence, I was just like, oh my god, I have to cover my eyes. I can't look at this. It was just so disrupt disrupting my viewing. But I get why they did it. But it was definitely a lot for me. But yeah, Triangle of Sadness, I don't see that as like a very um, audience-appealing type of movie at all either. No. Well, not to mention, Woman Talking, I don't think is very appealing um, to general audiences. Um, even if they can respect the story, it's still like, you know, like such a fucking downer. Yeah, and maybe it's just because I'm in a movie town. When I went to go see both those movies, there was a, a sizable audience and when I was walking out, everyone seemed to be enjoying both of them. Well, I heard a lot of a lot of laughter throughout Triangle of Sadness. I was kind of surprised. It was a lot more uh, humorous to the audience than I found it to be. But whatever theater you go to, or the ones you frequent, are they like kind of urban, like downtown or something like that? No, no. I kind of live in the suburbs. Hmm. But I, it's our theater that's close to us is just kind of a hub for movies. They get a lot of international stuff and kind of film festival stuff that doesn't usually play uh, in the other ones around us so okay yeah see i don't know what happened we had a what would be considered our our out our our art house theater in this city for for decades it, re, it shut down during covid i'm not sure what happened but kind of sucks because it was the art house film theater in, in this city <laughs> um, where all they pretty much showed was those types of movies um and so, yeah, seeing a place like that, yeah, because the audiences are kind of like more open to things. But just at a regular theater, yeah, I don't, I don't see it. And then once again, um, which movie am I talking about? I'm talking Triangle of Sadness right now. Um, uh, and once, like with Triangle of Sadness, and once again, the fucking trailers present the movie to be like one thing, and it's something totally yep. different. Yep. You need to cut it out with that shit. Yeah, no, it's and, and how, I mean, I, I sympathize with that movie because how the hell do you market <laughs> Triangle of Sadness? Like that is a tough one to put a trailer for. But something like Babylon, I I just feel like the the trailer was such a betrayal to what that movie was. And same with uh, uh, what was it again? The Hateful Eight. If you remember that trailer, I was always like, what the hell? This does not feel like anything like the movie. I'd have to go back and see the trailers for that. I don't hardly remember. Yeah, they were playing any sort of comedic bit they would play it up in that trailer as if it was some sort of like raunchy comedy or something. It's really stupid. <laughs> the thing I've enjoyed with Tarantino movies recently is uh, I told you I've become hopelessly addicted to watching uh, oh, YouTube reaction. reaction videos. And like I said, they're mostly people who are Gen Z or millennial at the oldest. And they're watching whatever movie it is for their very first time. And they usually know next to nothing about whatever movie it is. So it's like usually very new to them and um like i love seeing the reactions like when people are watching pulp fiction or there's certain lines in reservoir dogs but things that revolve around the n-word and like oh my gosh the way especially like i said the younger generations respond like when n-word just comes out of nowhere <laughs> it's, it's just fun watching their reactions it's yeah it's pretty wild yeah, and speaking of reactions, uh, 
was my partner's birthday a couple weeks ago. We went to go see three movies in a row. Oh, jeez. No, not on the same day, I'll say. Three days. Oh. Three oh. days. <laughs> yeah. And the middle one that we went to go see was Magic Mike's Last Dance. Oh, my gosh. And as you would expect with a movie like that, there was a, a, a number of groups of kind of middle-aged women who showed up there. And oh boy, they were making a bunch of very raunchy comments throughout and saying a lot of sexual things very loudly. And whenever the dance sequences were going on, oh, they were all into it. They were, you can hear them dancing around in their seats and oh boy. <laughs> it's funny going to a movie like that with that kind of audience. I haven't, I have, yeah, I haven't experienced that in a long, long time. <laughs> but I do think that was the best of the Magic Mike movies. I was happy that they got uh, Steven Soderbergh back. Get some real talent in that franchise. Oh, I didn't know that. And I also don't know much about the franchise, but I can imagine. Yeah, Soderbergh's one of those directors that I, I feel like he had a, a point where a lot of people were looking at him like, oh, this is a new kind of like up-and-coming director that we should respect. Yeah, I remember that. And then he just kept making movies, then he would just, no one cared about him anymore. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But I don't know, I, he, he keeps putting out really good work. I think it was last year that he put out uh, Kimmy with Zoe Kravitz. That was a really cool little kind of Hitchcock-style thriller. I wish more people would have seen. Zoe Kravitz sort of caught my attention the first time I saw her, which might have been X-Men First Class. But to be honest, she's never actually wowed me in a role, in any role. Um, now, she has something about her face that she gets from her mother that is somehow alluring just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but but actually, like, turning in, like, an amazing performance, I haven't really I haven't encountered it yet. Yeah, and she wasn't amazing in Kimmy, but it was kind of a different role for her because it was this this person who does all their work online. She's, like, a... She's phobic from leaving her part her apartment. I'm not sure what that uh, is called. <laughs> Agoraphobic. But then she gets she discovers. There you go. But then while she's like one of her jobs is doing uh like reviewing phone calls with service people, and then she stumbles across this murder happening on one of them, and so then she has to like leave her apartment to try to contact people to be like, hey, what's going on? I just found this murder, but no one's listening to her. It was a pretty cool little thriller. I thought she was good in it. Um, but I also went. I also went to go see Knock at the Cabin, M Night's newest uh, disaster. Did you like it? I heard. I heard. Yeah, I heard it's not good. <laughs> oh, nothing that he does can be good anymore. He's he's so over the moon. Oh, he's had some random. He's had some random good things in the last ten years. Yeah, what I wasn't expecting it to be, although I should have. I don't know what I was thinking. Was that it turned out to be an extremely evangelical movie, to the point of just being comedic. It's like, wow, this guy. He can't help himself. Everything has to... It was like Signs Part 2. Except with an apocalyptic uh, potential background. So it was ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. Um, Lucy, I don't want to belabor bringing up Taylor Sheridan again. But but 1923, like the the season finale happened this week. Um, And I was looking at the reactions of certain things that happened in the season. So you know in general, like the whole Yellowstone franchise is partly a phenomenon because as they would say, like in the media, it it's like it appeals to the red states, it's like a 
a MAGA country show. I, I wouldn't describe it as that, but I'm just saying that that's how it's known in the media, right? Um, I don't know if you know, but yeah, that's kind of how people speak no. about it. Yes. But anyway, um, so it has that reputation. And I mean, uh, while I wouldn't describe it that way, I, 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 of course I know what they're talking about because it does appeal more to people who have quote-unquote traditional values, traditional American values, <laughs> or you could say middle American values or whatever. Um, fine. So, still, that yeah, and that's definitely their, their bread and butter as far as their fan base or whatever. Um, but that being said, and, and, you know, like fans, they love the original show. They love 1883, the first spinoff. And they were loving 1923 out the gate, but without trying, without spoiling anything too much. Not that I know that you'll ever watch it, but in 1923, there's a very important subplot about this young girl who's been taken into the um, uh, what did they call those? Um, like religious native schools, turn of the century U.S. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what they're called exactly, but the, but but they're real common at the turn of the century, um, and they were like religious run, and they were like really strict, like boarding schools that were meant to like convert native children to like, you know, blue blooded Americans, whatever. So there's this very important subplot about this young girl in one of those schools who's sort of been taken from her family, and. In the school, like, it's all run by nuns, and there's some type of priest who's, like, the headmaster or something. And I mm-hmm. believe they're supposed to be Jesuits. And they're, like, you know, like, really abusive, right? Yeah. Like, like physically, mentally. And some of it's, like, difficult to watch, like, on screen. Um, and it, it gets real bad, and it gets, like, real gruesome, and a lot of stuff happens. And so when I was reading reviews in general about 1923, man, this really triggered some of the like the 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 audience or the Ter- Taylor Sheridan fan, like like a lot of people said things like, you know, I love Yellowstone, I love Taylor Sheridan, but this went too far, or this crossed the line, like this is disgusting, like um, like like things weren't this bad like in in those religious schools or this is where this is like Hmm. like they're like comparing it to like um like violence porn or something Hmm. but also i saw a couple people say things like oh this is ridiculous like these these sorts of um accusations about um religious schools were debunked years ago like this is like peddling lies (laughs) and and it, so it caused me to do a lot of re- personal research to try to figure things out. Um, but I, it was just wild. Like, wild. Like, man, people have no chill on their reactions, I mean. <laughs> like, they're, that, they're like, that's it. Two episodes, three episodes, I'm done. I'm done. I'll continue to watch the regular Yellowstone, but I refuse to watch more 1923. I just think it's incredible. Wow. Yeah, and those schools have been a, a big topic of... Uh conversation for like the past seven years here in canada with our history residential schools oh yeah 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 they did they made some discoveries of like a whole bunch of hidden bodies 
in like the, the foundations of those schools or buried around the grounds. People whose like kids went missing wound up in those schools and then they discover that they died. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and I, I read about yeah. that in my research. And this is the beauty of Taylor Sheridan in general, is that like I kinda knew about these things from other movies I watched back in the day. Mm-hmm. But I but I never knew it to the extent depicted in the show. Which again, I told you, it caused me to do my own little personal research, and I I saw that stuff about Canadian the Canadian equivalent, so mm-hmm. that was all news to me. Um, but I think that's like the the made thing about Taylor Sheridan, and then these people saying that, oh, like this is like based upon lies, and like this is not true. Like, I don't know Taylor Sheridan per, uh, personally, but I don't think he just makes shit up just to make it up. Mm-hmm. He comes across to me as someone who's like well studied and well read, so in my mind, he obviously read this somewhere. Like he wouldn't just make this up. Um, he, he doesn't come across as that kind of writer to me. So uh, yeah, I was just yeah, it's like, I don't know, I don't know. I see, I, and that's the thing. It's not a right or left thing. It's just. Whether you whether you are right or left or whatever you are, if you're too rigid, that's the part that's bad. Yes. Where you can't bend, you can't you can't reevaluate what you know. Where yeah, that that's the worst part. Is is where like if one little thing, and it just like like everything tumbles for a house like a house of cards for you, because not like nothing's black or white like that like in real life. Like nothing is an ivory tower. So, I, I, yeah, that's the part that is most ridiculous to me. Yeah, and I always find it odd with religious folks because, I mean, just because some religious folks back in the day did some hideous stuff, which we all know that they did, like, why are you so amped up to defend or deny? Like, I mean, just accept that those people were fucked up. It has nothing to do with you. It's it's a very strange. I had I had a bunch of friends who were like that. Any sort of kind of criticism of even things like the Inquisition. They're like, hey, you know, they were just, they were misguided, but they were still trying to act in God's will, and we shouldn't judge Christians of the past. What? (laughs) Not judge them? Like, what the fuck? Defending those people? Just, oh, it's so bizarre. This is getting into my, uh, (laughs) getting into passionate topics from years of arguments. Uh, Mandalorian's back. It's all right, I guess. <laughs> oh wow, I forgot it was back. Is it just yeah. one episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First episode mm. of season three. Uh, yeah, it seems good. <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 hard to think about Star Wars now after Andor and yes, and Bad Batch has been putting out so many middling episodes mm. lately. Like I, I just can't stand it because they've. they've They've put out more middling episodes since last time I brought it up. And I'm just like, okay, why are y'all putting hundreds of thousands of people hours into into animating mediocre stories? Like this is this isn't Clone Wars season two. <laughs> like like there's no reason to pad things here. Um, just just tell the good stories. Yeah, and I've been I've been seeing Mandalorian posters all over the place at uh, bus stops when I drive by them, and I look and I'm like, hmm, going back to Mandalorian after 
Andor season one. I just want to get to Andor season two. Another season of Mandalorian. Like I'm just not, I'm just not there at this moment. Like I'll watch it, but yeah, and it's fine. And I can see there's some signposts to interesting things like that they're alluding to down the road. But you, do you remember how people describe season two Mandalorian like it was a video game, like? fetch quest after fetch quest no but i could see that fitting okay that everybody was saying that i totally felt that vibe yeah it was totally like a video game accomplished this now you know this princess is another castle go over there <laughs> that was totally season two and if season two was a video game like that then watching the first episode of seasons three it just feels like all right now you've purchased the dlc for the video game. That's what it feels like to me. And I'm like, fuck. No, I don't want DLC. I want a whole new game or something. Like, fuck. Like, it just feels like additional quests. Fuck. Like, I'm over that. I'm over that. It's it's not bad. It's just it's just frustrating. Yeah. And like I said, I got so spoiled on Andor that, that I don't know what. Yeah, I was just telling Isaac the other day. And I felt bad afterwards. He's like, I don't know, you're bu- you might be building it up too much. Because I was, I was basically telling him, like, everything else that they've done with Star Wars up until this point now kind of feels like placeholders. It's like none of it was really anything new or exciting. It was all just kind of furthering what we've already seen, doing variations on kind of themes or senses of humor that we've seen. Nothing felt new at all until Andor breathed, like, new life into the franchise. And that's, yeah, like, I'm not really interested in returning to those, yeah, that, that stuff all that much. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I strongly agree with that statement. I, I will admit, though, sometimes when they redo themes, it's pleasant. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, when, when overall it's what it is, that's not really cool. Or, yeah, it gets stale. And I was also telling Isaac, this is the first time I've seen something Star Wars- that isn't trying to emulate the humor from the original Star Wars. And something like the sequel tr- trilogy, they try to emulate it, but they like bastardize it. But at least the Filoni stuff that I've seen, they try to emulate that kind of snappy sense of humor, kind of uh, fun banter. And or everything's so stripped down and so like deep in darkness in a way. Yeah. That they don't have any time for that bullshit. Yeah, and I don't know how they did it, especially in episode four and five. But when I'm watching these Gen Z millennials, when they react to those movies and they've never seen them before, mm-hmm. like even in A New Hope, they're like, "Damn! Like, like these characters are funny, or like, or where do they get these lines? Or like, like, and it, it causes me to like notice it more myself. Like, that's it, interesting to me that a younger generation can actually see that there's something about those screenplays that." It was like I don't know how because again I don't know how they did it because obviously Lucas struggled to recreate that type of feel um, ever again like in that way. Yeah, that's yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, because at least uh, past the first one, you could kind of thank Kasdan that to some degree and some other people coming in. Yeah, maybe not Marquand, but. <laughs> The Netflix All Quiet on the Western Front is getting a 4K U- UHD release. 
No. Yeah, that's pretty rare yeah. for a Netflix movie. Um, so, I mean, I'm not that interested to pick that one up, but <laughs> I, I know some people could be. Where's those goddamn Godzilla discs? I need them. Wait, which Godzilla? Um, which Godzilla are we talking about? Uh, the three animated movies. Oh, those. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that. Yeah, no, they probably won't. Not until... I mean, I, I don't even see it on Blu-ray in America. Yeah, I'm sure one day they'll lose the rights. Because I don't know how long their license with Toho is, but... I can't imagine it's forever, so... <laughs> right. I know that they've been released on Blu-ray in Japan, so I've... Yeah, that's totally different. <laughs> I've considered buying those, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, they're incredibly expensive. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, like, I got the DVDs, and, I mean, they're fine. They're expensive also, but yes. not as expensive as the Blu-rays. And, eh, they're DVD quality. It's okay. The thing I wasn't sure about the Blu-rays, I wasn't sure if they had, like, English subtitles um, when I was researching, but... Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Oh, yeah, me and Isaac also got to see uh, Shin Ultraman. Have you heard much about that? I've heard of it. Ultraman, ever since they started releasing these, like, collector's editions in, mm -hmm. in North America, it piqued my interest. Because, actually, Ultraman was probably the first live-action, whatever you call that genre. Um, it's probably the first... I ever saw of that genre in my life hmm. because um, in the 80s again going back to the early days of VHS rentals we, I remember we used to get those when I was a kid and they were Ultraman I don't remember anything about the, the plots or anything I just remember seeing those but I never saw I never watched Ultraman again since and like I said I was I've I considered many times getting into the um, the re-releases but then there's just so fucking many of them. Yep. And and then I imagine it's like other things from Japan that have a thousand volumes, which is, yeah, there's some good stuff, but then there's going to be some shit, shit, shit. <laughs> and, yeah. and I don't got time for all that. So, yeah, no, I've dodged it because it just feels like, nah, this is already like, this is too much to add to my plate. Yeah. And that's, that's why maybe something like Chanel Trump would be a nice, uh, kind of alternative just step in with that and especially because it's like a spiritual sequel to shin godzilla so it's got some little ties there and gives you a cool flavor of shin ultra oh. or flavor of ultraman overall yeah see i was wondering if there was any kind of connection in that kind of way and from the light research i did i did not find that connection yeah behind but besides the people behind the uh the writing and the camera there's like one character who kind of I don't know if they're playing the same character, but he's basically playing the same or filling the same role in the script. Yeah. So, so that was kind of fun. And just the uh, focus on like the procedural aspect of a big monster invasion also carries over, except they have just a more comedic tone because Ultraman in general is a little bit, a little bit more comedic. So, so it's cool. I, I would recommend it. Oh, last thing I'll bring up, uh, I forget. Have you ever seen Your Name, the animated movie? No. Yeah, I never seen that one. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. I think, I think that currently is, and has been, my number one favorite animated movie, like hand drawn animated movie. Um, Spirit Away has long been my number one for for years and years. Mm -hmm. But I, I think, 
I think your name hits a little bit harder for me. Um, it's so goddamn good. I have forgotten because it's, it's been some years since I saw it. Um, that one's good. And it, it seems like there's been a bunch of movies since that have, like, in the same style from Japan. Um, I've seen, like, one of them. But ugh, I hate that about Japanese stuff. Well, it's not just Japanese, but... yeah. But just when there's something that like breaks out and then there's like all these carbon copies. But yeah, your name is really good. Yeah, I really gotta check that one out. Yeah, that's something I've been trying to get on 4K, but but it's very expensive. Oh really? For the Blu-ray or the yeah yeah, um, it's really expensive to try to get even just the Blu-ray. But yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah, it's been a while since I've watched James Bond. Hmm. Yeah, I always feel like I should watch him more. Um, six months ago, I went through all the Craigs. Um, so that that was something. Um, but yeah, I really need to go back to the... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's... Oh, man. like None of you guys are watching Yellowstone, but like, I already mentioned how Harrison Ford's in it now and Helen Mirren. And not only that... Um, Oh, there was a couple of characters from Game of Thrones, or actors, I should say, um, lesser people. But a, a one I hadn't mentioned who's, like, interesting is Timothy Dalton is in it. Oh. And, and it's crazy, Timothy Dalton, because uh, for Best Picture, uh, me and Sean had watched a movie from that's called The Lion in Winter. Um from from 69 or whatever year it is we're doing uh, 68 the line in winter and the line in winter has like an all-star british cast um it's like anthony hopkins in one of his earliest roles um it's timothy dalton in like his first notable role ever and some other people and timothy dalton in 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 the line of winter hmm. he is dashing as all hell like he is strikingly handsome, like strikingly handsome British man in that movie, um, and he was actually offered the Bond role because of that movie, and I could not even imagine him playing that role back then because he just looks so young and so like 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 a, like a male model or something, um, like, like he's just piercing. Hmm. And and then and then to see him on like current Yellowstone 1923 playing this crazy ass character, like man, this guy, man, this, this guy, what a career! Yeah, it is too bad they didn't get him then, because by the time they finally did, I've, you know, he, he was getting pretty old. He, even though he wasn't getting pretty old, he was looking pretty old. <laughs> yeah, weird. He, yeah, he refused. He, he refused. Um, he refused the role it, it, back in '69. Because he literally felt he was too young, which he kind of was, um, yeah. and also he was afraid that it would like define the rest of his rest of his career, like you know, pigeonhole him and whatever. Yeah, I just pulled down my James Bond set from uh, this is the 2012, like big box hit edition. I've got a couple different sets, but in it here, I was just looking through my sticky notes inside, and for uh, Diamonds Are Forever, I watched it with the SNS commentary back in. Uh, what's this? September twenty eighth of twenty fifteen. Because I would always, if I watch it with commentaries and things, I write it in the little, I write under the uh, 
So. Yeah, that makes sense. I've, I've started doing that in my notations on, on the letterbox app, making notes like that to myself. But um, yeah, I've had numerous editions of the box set myself from DVD to Blu-ray. But the reason I just stick to the streaming right now, except for the Craigs, because the Craigs are all on physical. For all the other Bonds, um, the 4Ks are only available streaming. So so that's why I watch them all streaming now. Yeah, that's fair. Annoyingly, okay, they're all in 4K, which is great, but they're not in HDR, which is super annoying. <laughs> Damn, this is sad. I guess the last time I went, last time I listened to any SNS was 2020. It's okay, man. There's only so many hours in a day, and I don't yeah. even know how you get through all the stuff you consume. Because yeah, I was just thinking, ah, oh, maybe I should go through this again. I remember I went through all the Bond movies in prep for uh, No Time to Die. I couldn't remember what year that came out, and that's why I pulled this down. Huh. Well, maybe it's time to go back around again. Yeah, but that was, feels like that was almost two years ago now. No Time yeah. to Die. But, uh, oh, fuck. Um, I have yet to finish... Uh, say, uh, never say never again. Um, like you've never seen it? I may have watched bits of it when I was a kid, but I never. I, but I couldn't have told you anything about it. Um, and then I purchased it in 4K streaming a long time ago, uh, and I I started watching it a few months ago. I got halfway, but I still really have never finished it like in totality. To this day, I wonder if you or Josh remember this, but I tweeted both of you. I think maybe I even messaged you on, maybe not messaged you, but I wrote something on the Prognag uh, Facebook page. In like, I think it was like 2012 or 2013. Like, oh, have you are you guys ever gonna go back and do this movie? Yeah, for that one. I totally, <laughs> totally saw that message. I totally told Josh about it. Um, I, I saw it like way after the fact. Like there was considerable time from whenever you posted it to when I saw it. But I did see it. I did tell Josh about it. But I had no idea it was you, though. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so many years ago. Yeah, I always, I always wondered how that joke would play out to the unsuspecting public. Oh, I was choked. I was choked. <laughs> no, because somebody else DM'd us that they believed that there was a technical problem um, oh. with our commentary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I thought it was a funny joke, but then I was waiting for the when you guys would actually do it. And I was like, oh, wait, they're never going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I actually like that movie quite a bit. So. I don't know. It's, you know, I, I generally like, I've discovered lately with all the movies I've been, I've been watching 80s movies like I've never seen before and stuff like that. And ones I have. And I've discovered that if, if there's any decade where you could just pull like any movie randomly and there's a good, like, the best chance I'm going to like whatever the movie is would be if you chose something from the 80s. The 80s decade in general is the decade that I just most jive with um, from random selection. Um, that said, as much as I love plenty of random 80s movies, Never Say Never Again, it has 80s qualities I don't like <laughs> in movies. Yeah. That's fair, and I, I, I have to, I'd have to think about this more to suss this all out. But it weirdly has '80s qualities I don't like, whereas I like '80s qualities in a laundry list of other movies, even bad movies. Yeah, but I do think it's still 
I mean, most of the Bond '80s movies, I think, are bad. Oh God, they are. But I do think, I do think it's one of the stronger ones. And, you know, it does have Irving Kirshner behind it, so that that helps a little bit. I think it perhaps might be stronger in terms of story and acting and tone, but not in production values compared yeah. to the other '80s Bonds, and that's what hurts it, I think. Like the big video game scene when they're just... That's some boring stuff. It's like, oh my god. How did you ever think this was going to work? Hmm. <laughs>